Father in heaven, thank you that you're among us. Thank you, God, that we can say with confidence that you love us. We, we're so thrilled about the good news of Easter. Lord Jesus, we've just celebrated your coming into this world, your dying on the cross for our sins, and your resurrection. So this Sunday, the week after Easter, Lord, we want to continue to celebrate you. I pray, God, as we turn to the Bible, that you would speak into our hearts. We believe the Bible is your very word. We believe it can impact our lives. It can help us with every challenge we face. I pray, help me to speak. Help us to hear. And God, as we connect across three locations in this moment, I pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So welcome everyone joining us from Leith and from North. It's great to have you connecting. One church, three locations. In fact, everyone in Gorgie, let's hear it for the folks joining us in Leith and in North. Great to have you connected. Uh, Today I'm going to speak to you on the subject of joy. We've been going through a series looking in the book of Psalms, uh, looking at the different emotions, the roller coaster of life we've called it, how there's different emotions we have as humans, but also in the Psalms, it it captures those emotions in the Psalms and helps us navigate through those emotions. So today we're going to be specifically looking at the subject of joy. Uh, A recent study shows that On average, a child laughs out loud about 400 times a day. When you get to about 12, that starts declining to the point where, on average, most adults will laugh about 15 times a day. My goal is to get you to laugh all 15 of those in the next 45 minutes. I got you, see? It It wasn't even funny, but anyway. Interestingly, the Bible actually doesn't speak that much about happiness, But it does speak a lot about joy. Joy, or a derivative version of that word joy, appears in 51 of the 66 books in the Bible. God has a lot to say about joy. And we're going to, in the Psalms today, look at joy. I believe with all my heart that God is joyful. It's not just that we can experience joy. The very fact we have any emotion is by virtue of the fact, I believe, that we were created in the image of God. And therefore, every emotion we have is just a mere glimmer of the emotions that God himself has. God is joyful. That's why in the Bible it calls joy one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when God has taken up residence in your life, the Holy Spirit's in you, one of the fruits, one of the byproducts of God being there is you get joyful because it's his joy flowing through your life. But there's a difference between happiness and joy. You know, and I believe what God wants to do as we go through this journey in the psalm is I believe God wants to take us from the shallow end of happiness to the deep end of joy where we can learn to swim in the depths of joy and live in that joy every day of our life. What's the difference between happiness and joy? Well, I think it's different because it has a different basis. Happiness has a temporary basis whereas joy is based on things that are eternal. Happiness is the fruit of circumstance. Okay, you're on holiday, you're happy, but then you stop being on holiday. Okay, you're uh, you're at church and you're happy, then you stop being at church. You you have a nice meal and you're happy, or you have a relationship and you're happy, and and whatever, but it's a fruit of circumstance, whereas joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and God doesn't change. Happiness is based on things that change, whereas Joy is based on things that cannot change. Happiness comes from pursuing the things that this world has to offer. Not even evil things, just things that the world has to offer. But they're temporary. Whereas joy comes from the pursuit of God in this life and in eternity. Happiness is based on what you have. Your car that you're so happy about, but then it gets older. Your house you live in, the the job you got, your dream job. Whereas joy is based not on things you have, but on things that can never be taken from you. Things that will never change. His purpose for you, his love for you, God himself. So today I'm going to talk about how joy is actually incredibly linked with your destiny. With whether or not actually you achieve your destiny. So come with me, Psalm 95 in the Old Testament. Um, Let me read it to you. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Say, joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry lands. Come, let us bow in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God's. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Now, now the psalm takes a turn, okay? Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did in the day of, at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation, and I said... They are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger, they will never enter my rest. They'll never achieve their destiny. Now, a few things about the psalm before we kind of unpack it and look at how it relates to our lives. First of all, it was written by David. Now, it didn't say that in the introduction to the psalm, but in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it quotes this psalm twice in the book of Hebrews, and it tells us that it was written by David. David was a famous king in the Old Testament. In fact, the most famous king in the Old Testament. He's the guy writing this. And you notice how the psalm had two halves, two sections. The first half was the happy half, or the joyful half. The second half was a bit more challenging, right? So what's that all about? Well, the first half was talking about, it's an encouragement exhortation for us to praise God. In the second half, you noticed how it was a reflection. David was reflecting back on Israel's history and some of the mistakes they made that hindered them moving into their destiny. You see that? And he deliberately puts them together and we'll unpack that as we go. And what's interesting to note is that David as a king and Israel as a people, they had very similar journeys. So you think about Israel's journey. They, They were They kind of grew up in Egypt where they were slaves. And then remember Moses came along and there was those dramatic plagues, the miracles. And then they were freed from slavery in Egypt and they came to the Red Sea and God miraculously, historically parted the Red Sea, one of the most exemplary miracles in all history. And they passed through the Red Sea into the wilderness area and they passed through a wilderness en route to a promised land, okay? Well, David, he started in obscurity up in the hills around Bethlehem. God called him to be the next king. But ironically, he spends the next season of his life, years of his life, in a wilderness running for his life. And it was only at the end of that season that he comes out and becomes the king of all Israel. So there's this parallel going on. The only difference is this, is that Israel, they came out of Egypt, they saw the miracles, they went through a wilderness, That should have only taken them months. But a whole generation died in the wilderness. And the next generation got into the promised land. Isn't that strange? They should have only been in that wilderness for months and yet they spent 40 years in the wilderness wasting away and missing their destiny. Whereas David went through his wilderness and came out in his destiny. So what's the difference? How is it you go from being the person who wastes away in a wilderness, gets lost in a no man's lands, gets lost in the circumstances of life, or how do you be the person or how do you be the people who actually go into the destiny, the promised lands, the ultimate thing that God has got you for, right? How do you be that rather than that? And the answer is joy. That's what this psalm is all about. So let me take you on a three-step journey. First of all, joy for what was. Say joy for what was. Let's read the verses. Verse one. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Say rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry lands. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. Right, so 
Here's the first bit, and it's encouraging us to praise. And And it starts off by encouraging us to have expressive, exuberant, passionate praise. It starts by saying, you know, sing for joy. Shout aloud. Thanksgiving. When's the last time you sang for joy? Probably a couple of minutes ago, maybe. But, but personally, in your own life, maybe, do, do you ever sing for joy? Do you ever shout aloud? Do you ever have thanksgiving? Okay, that's confident, right? That's confident praise. That's not kind of mousy praise. That's confident praise. That's strong praise. That's strong declarations of praise towards God. And you might say, well, what is the basis of that strength of praise? Because maybe you don't feel that strong when you come in the presence of God. Maybe you don't feel that you could be that confident before God, right? Well, here's the answer. It's in the verse. What does he call him? He calls him the rock of our salvation. The rock of our salvation. So he's describing God in such secure terms. And he's describing us in relation to God in such secure terms. He is the rock of our salvation. Okay, that's good news. You can have a rock that you can build your life on and your eternity on. God is the rock of our salvation. There was a, a true story, a sad true story, of climbers who were up in the Swiss Alps and they were descending from one of the very precarious high peaks in the Swiss Alps and they were all roped together. The, the three further down the slope slipped. First one slipped, lost his footing and because they were roped together, it, it tugged and it pulled the next one off his feet and then three of them, doo, 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 ended up going over a cliff, all roped together. The three that were left on the slope saw what was happening and they dug in and they put their axes in the ground and all three of them held their grounds and then the, but the rope went tight and in, instead of the rope holding, it snapped like string and they saw their colleagues fall to their death in the glacier below, thousands of feet below. It was a tragic moment. In fact, so much so that the three climbers that were left on the hillside were they, were, they were literally petrified. They were paralyzed with fear. And they had to take, it was about half an hour before they could compose themselves enough to try and actually make the descent back down to the town. When they got down to the town, they, they looked at the rope, they investigated the rope. They didn't understand why the rope gave way because it shouldn't have given way. Because actually, um, apparently, true alpine club rope, you can tell it's true alpine club rope because right through the core of it, there is a red strand running right through it. That's what signifies alpine club rope. But this rope that they had was a weak substitute and it just snapped like string when they most needed it. And I believe that you can have incredible security in life because of that red strands that runs right through everything. Last Sunday was Easter. We at Easter remember that a price was paid on a cross 2,000 years ago. Blood was shed. A red strand is now available that you can have a security, an unbreakable security in your relationship with God. No matter what life throws at you, you are solid and unmoved in God. That's the good news of Easter. That's the incredible good news. Our joy, our ability to have joy and be able to sing joyfully and be exuberant, is based on what God has already done for us, what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter, 12, chapter 10, verse 19 to 22, it says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the very presence of God, by the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. You can have confidence You can have full assurance based on what Jesus did. You see, when Jesus died on that cross, he gives you that full assurance. I don't know if you have any football fans here, but in 1999, there was a famous game. Who saw the Manchester United Bayern Munich Champions League final? Two of you. Okay. I guess the rest of you are Christians and you don't have televisions and you live very sheltered lives. All right, for the three non-Christians among us who watched that game... Um, everyone in Leith would put their hands up. I know that. But anyway, you guys here. In, in 1999, we were sitting there watching this game and, and you know, everyone was on the edge of the seats because of the tension. Because Bayern Munich, it was minutes to go before the end of the game. Bayern Munich was 1-0 ahead. And it looked like all was lost. But do you know what? 
I was cool as a cookie. I'd, cucumber, that's the word, isn't it? I, I, I was unmoved. I was unfazed. I just knew it was going to go Manchester's way. I wasn't even flinching. And they, my mates were just on the edge of the seats, biting their fingernails, thinking, come on, Manchester. Anyway, within moments of the final whistle going, Manchester got the equaliser. And then beyond anyone's expectations except mine, they got the second goal. Literally within seconds of the final whistle blowing. And Manchester United, within a couple of minutes of the final whistle being blowing, got two goals and they won the Champions League final 2-1. And my friends were going mental. But I was cool. All the way through, I was cool. And the reason was, is the game happened earlier and we were watching the highlights on television. <laughs> we were just watching the highlights. The victory had already been won. And the reason I have confidence in life, and the reason you can have confidence in life, isn't because you're so good and you're so well adjusted and you've got it all together. The reason you can have confidence in life is because there's a victory that's already been won. You're just watching the highlights. You just get to celebrate the goodness of what is already achieved for you. Joy based on what was. That's why you can sing for joy. That's why you can be exuberant in his presence. You see, when Jesus died on that cross, and what was his last words on the cross? It is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. It wasn't a defeat cry. It was a cry of victory. When he breathed his last, and he said, it is finished. What he was saying is this. Forgiveness is available to all humankind. Anyone who puts their trust in me will now be declared righteous before a holy God for all eternity, based on what I did. That you will be made holy in the very presence of God if you put your trust in him. That Satan has been defeated and death is no longer the threat it used to pose to your life. That's good news. That's what happened when Jesus said, it is finished. When he said it is finished, he said, healing and deliverance is available for anyone who trusts in me. When he said it is finished, he secured in him all source of provision, all source of prosperity and provision in life. My hope for provision is based on Jesus. It's, it is finished. Everything we hope for was all summed up in Jesus. So we can have absolute confidence. When he said it was finished and he resurrected to just to prove it worked, you need to understand you can have absolute confidence to come before him. Some people might say, well, is it not unrealistic? Are you not living in unreality to be joyful all the time? Is that not unreality? Well, first of all, why do you ask such a cheeky question? <laughs> Whoever asked that question. But... Well, what reality are you living in? Imagine you had such incredible debt. Imagine you had a, a massive, massive financial debt that you knew would take probably all your life to clear. And imagine someone come and cleared that, all that debt. Would it be unreality to you for, from that moment forward every day to be incredibly grateful, full of joy? Would that be unreality? Or would that actually be appropriate? Okay, would it, be, would it be actually unreality to live morbid every day from that? That would be unreality, to live morbid in the light of what was done. I'm telling you, when Jesus died on the cross, that's not a fairy tale. His resurrection is real. He's alive, he's here by his spirit, and you, can, you, can, you have every right. In fact, it would be weird if you weren't joyful about that. Because his resurrection, his death is so complete. You are so forgiven. You can do what it says here. He is the rock of your salvation. You can sing joyfully. You can shout aloud. You can have thanksgiving in your soul. Because this is how good the good news is. Thanks for your enthusiasm. But that's a good point. Yeah, thank you. Next, in the part of the verse, it goes verses 6 and 7. It starts with this exuberant praise. But then it goes to intimate worship. Look at what it says. Bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. It's talking about now intimacy. We're kneeling before God. We're bowing down in worship. It's now become intimate. It's gone from being exuberant praise to being intimacy with God. And then it says why. It tells us we can be intimate with God because he is intimate with us. Look what it says. It says, for we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. In other words, He's not a God who's some distant being, inapproachable. But apparently, just like a shepherd is involved in the life of a sheep, leading them, looking after them, tending them, helping them, 
dealing with their issues, protecting them from wolves, helping them forward. Just like a shepherd is involved with the sheep, so too your God is involved in your life. He's not just a God you vaguely remember who did something for you historically. He's a God who's actively involved in your lives, leading you forward. So that, that intimacy with us results in intimacy with him. That's good news. It's like if you saw a kid in a room and they were sitting, in, in, there on the sofa was the dad and the kid's doing a, little, doing a little dance, and the dad's sitting on the sofa, but that dad is scowling. That dad is not impressed with that kid. He's sitting there critical of this kid who's doing the dance. What's going to happen? Sooner or later, the kid's going to eventually going to walk away. Because that demeanor is not encouraging that creativity. But imagine in that scenario when you see that little kid doing a dance, da, 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 and then the dad's sitting there, and instead of the scowling, the dad's saying, yay, check out that move. And the, and the kid's going, ah, yay. And so it's getting more creative, and the dad's, come on, son, go for it. That's brilliant. And then the kids now go, woo, and doing all, all sorts of really groovy moves. And the kid's just, what happens? He becomes more creative, becomes more freed up. And if your view of God is, is he's scowling dad's, who can't see past your mistakes, who constantly is blaming you for everything. First of all, you haven't understood the cross. His love moved him to pay the price for our sins. That's the cross. And now his demeanor towards us is generous and loving. We can call him Father. And your view of the Father will either inhibit you from worshiping or free you up to enjoy his presence. He's a good Father. He is a good Good Father. So why are we a joyful church? We're a joyful church because we remember what was. We, we, every day, every week when we gather, we talk about this thing called, we call the gospel. It means good news. It's the good news that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected. The biggest price has been paid. We're totally forgiven. So no matter what life actually throws at us, there's nothing worse than what predicament we were in and he's already dealt with that. So we have this eternal hope. We have this relationship with God. So we have every reason to Rejoice. Let's hear it for Jesus. So, joy for what was. But then the psalm goes on and talks about now joy for what is. Verse 7 to 9. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did on the day that at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, and though they had seen what I did. You see, it's referring now back to a bit of history, and, and, and I'll take you there in a minute. We'll, we'll look at that. But Israel had only traveled a few days into the wilderness, having been freed from Egypt, having seen all the miracles, having had the Red Sea parted, that going through this wilderness, they'd seen it all. I mean, it, was, it should have been vivid memory in their mind. God delivered us. God did all that for us. And yet here they were, now in a wilderness, complaining and grumbling. Let's, let's read, let's read the, the bit in the Old Testament where it talks about what David's referring to here. So Exodus chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin. That's a bad sounding desert to me. <laughs> Traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replies, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water, and they grumbled at Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children, our livestock, die of thirst? They'd forgotten, right? They'd just completely forgotten what had just taken place in the days before. Then Moses cried to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? Sometimes a prayer, I pray. <laughs> they are almost ready to stone me. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Massa means to test. Meribah means to quarrel or provoke. Now again, imagine you've just been through the Red Sea you haven't done that before. Seas opened up and you walked through it. Right? Stuff the fourth road bridge. Just save money. Do the Moses miracle. 
go through in the land. I mean, that's a miracle, right? That, they'd just seen that with their very eyes. Many of you have seen miracles. And sometimes it's, just, it's crazy, but we forget. We forget so quickly. And this is what happened here. Now they're, they've got this thing where, oh man, I know we've passed through the Red Sea, but I'm not sure if God can provide us with water in a wilderness. Come on. And they, they were questioning whether God was among them or not. It's a crazy, crazy moment. And they didn't trust God in the now. They were grumbling and complaining. Say grumbling and complaining. So what was underneath the grumbling and complaining? Because underneath grumbling and complaining, there is always something. What was under that? That's the surface, grumbling and complaining. What was underneath it? It's interesting. The Bible gives us an insight into what was going on underneath it. Hebrews, again, referring back to this moment, tells us what was going on in their hearts. Hebrews 3, verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter, that's their destiny, because of their unbelief. Unbelief was what was underneath their grumbling and complaining. You see, what happens is when problems come, you can become so consumed with the problem. You forget everything about God. You forget all that God has done for you. You become so consumed with the problem. You focus on the problem and the problem provokes in you unbelief and it manifests in grumbling and complaining. But on the flip side, if you focused on God's promises, that would provoke in you faith and that would manifest and express itself in joy. And that's the point David's making in the psalm. The first half is, come on, worship God. Don't be like the guys who grumbled and complained and fell into unbelief and missed their destiny. So underneath unbelief, grumbling and complaining is unbelief based on focusing on the problems. Focusing on the problems results in unbelief. Unbelief manifests in grumbling and complaining and you miss your destiny. Whereas the contrast is if you are a person of faith, focusing on God's promises, it will manifest in joy and you will come into your destiny. Notice what it says in the verse that we read, verse seven. Today, if only you would hear his voice. If only you would hear his voice. Deuteronomy 8 verse three says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What will sustain joy in your life every day? It will not be food in your stomach. It will be God's word in your heart. That's what will sustain joy. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you can read this one with me. I don't want to read it myself. I want to share it with you because it's so good. Ready? One, two, three. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So how do you get that faith? It comes from hearing God's word, the promises, the Bible. You've got a book, this thing called the Bible, or you might have it on your phone. Whether you've got it in book form or on the phone or on your iPad or whatever, read your Bible. It is full of promises of God's. Let it fuel your faith, and that, I assure you, will result in joy in your life. So are you living by his promises? Are you praising based on his promises? I assure you, if you're focusing on problems, you won't feel much to praise about. But if you're focusing on promises, it will inspire praise. If you read God's promises with a soft heart and truly believe them, it will not inspire you to grumble and complain. You couldn't do it. You read God's promises and actually believe what you're reading in the Bible. Don't read them religiously. Read them really. Say, wow, it will result in joy. It absolutely. So you're living with praise based on truth. Are you praying based on his promises? Every morning when I go out for my early morning prayer, I love it. I, I, I spend the time praising and praying based on all the promises in the Bible. Don't deny yourself this opportunity. Live in that truth. Let it fuel your worship. You see, imagine, let's just make this practical. Imagine you're at work and in your, in your place of work, there are 10 things that are great, okay? There are 10 things you can just off the top of your head. That's brilliant and that's great and that's good. And but there are two things that really, really annoy you. I mean, two things that really, really annoy you. What do you spend most of your time talking about? I'll just give you a couple of minutes to think about that. Ten things that are good, or the two things that really, 
really annoy you. Now, what we should do is we should pray about the two things that annoy you, but we should give lots of thanks to God for the 10 things that are great, okay? And then when people come and complain to you in your work saying, oh, you see these two things? You can say, yeah, I know it's not a perfect workplace, but look at all the good things that there are. I mean, it's your choice. Do you want to live in a negative workplace where every day people are grumbling and complaining and that's a naff place to work and people don't look forward to going to work? Or you can change the environment and make it a positive place where people actually enjoy going to work, productivity goes up, joy levels increase, your call. And it all comes from, are you going to focus in on the problems or are you going to rejoice in God's who changes things and who can answer prayers and who can make things better? So how do you get through a wilderness? Remember, David wrote this psalm and David's got through his wilderness. And you want to know how David got through his wilderness? Read the psalms. David wrote most of the Psalms, and a number of those Psalms he wrote while in the wilderness. And a lot of them, I mean, sure, some of them are acknowledging the problems. He's praying, God, help me with this problem, and, and kill that enemy, and, you know, praise kind of brutal prayers. Smash their teeth, Lord, you know. Yeah, okay. So David prays, prays like that, but in the middle of it, he says, but God, you're great, and I trust you no matter what I'm facing. I mean, literally, he was being hunted down by assassins, and he survived that wilderness and he rejoiced in God and he worshiped. You read his wilderness psalms, they're full of praise. That's how he came out of the wilderness. Joyful praise gets you out of a wilderness. Grumbling and complaining will keep you in the wilderness you're facing in life. Your wilderness will not change as long as you grumble and complain. Now here's the un unusual thing, that for joy to be properly experienced, it actually needs to be released. It needs to be expressed. And the word for that, the Bible has, is the word rejoice. Say rejoice. That's when it goes from just being joy in your heart to being expressed in your words. Here's a great example of rejoicing. Paul and Silas. This is in the book of Acts. Now Jesus died on the cross, risen again. Paul and Silas were two kind of great preachers and they were traveling around the known world telling people about the good news about Jesus and in one place, they were facing persecution because of their faith, and they were imprisoned. And it says in Acts 16, verses 23 onwards, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. I just let that impact you. What would it feel like to be severely flogged and thrown into prison? I mean, that's, that's brutal. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders... He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Right, so they're in this dark, dreary prison, right? And it, it, it wasn't like modern prisons. It, probably rats running around the place, probably stank, probably damp. And they've now got their feet in stocks. Their back is ripped open. They haven't had any medical treatment. Their back is raw. Dirt is getting in the wounds. They're there in this prison. They do not know how, we know how it goes, right? But they didn't. They were in it. They didn't know, is this going to be a week? Is this going to be a month? They had no idea. And it says, At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I bet they were. I bet they were thinking, who are these nutters in the room next door singing in this environment, right? This is not a typical worship center. This is not a place where people are happy. Uh, they were listening to it, and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and at once all the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. It's incredible. But let me make a point to you. The breakthrough, I mean, God did a miracle there, and it resulted in the prison guard becoming a believer, and then a whole lot of people in that area in Philippi becoming believers in Jesus. An incredible moment. But let me tell, make the point. The breakthrough didn't come when they had internalized joy. The breakthrough came when they externalized that joy, they gave voice to that joy, and they did this thing called rejoice. Despite the circumstance, the breakthrough didn't come when they just felt good and kind of kept it to themselves. I feel joyful. The breakthrough came when they expressed the joy with their mouth, verbally. They glorified God. And that was when the breakthrough came. Let me read you. Uh, an excerpt from a newsletter from Wycliffe Bible Translators. Um, they do work all around the world. And listen to this excerpt from about 10 years ago. Bruce and Jen Larson are Bible translators serving in Peru. Several years ago, they were driving down 
a particular roads with their 14-year-old son when they came to a switchback and they came bumper to bumper with a truckload of people. Suddenly the people brandished rifles at the Benson family who realized that they encountered the brutal terrorist organization called the Shining Path. Jan thought, this is it. This is the end of our lives. Jan was a real optimist, apparently. The terrorists forced them out of their car and transported them to a nearby town. On the way, fearful and bewildered, Jan felt the need to pray. Yeah. And even to sing praises to God. Jan described it. He says, it began first as a trickle. But then soon we were singing. We were properly singing songs to God. So they were singing hymns and songs, things they'd remembered, quoting Bible verses. Suddenly I felt as though I was the only person alive on earth, just me and God. I felt all encompassed by love. God reassured me that he was in control and that nothing could remove his loving presence from me, not even death itself. That night the terrorists unexpectedly released the Bensons but without first confiscating their car and their portable projection equipment and the film reels that they were carrying uh, of the new Bible media, which was based on the book of Luke, the gospel, uh, and the same material that was used in the Jesus film. Anyway, a year passed. The Bensons had moved to the capital city of Peru for safety, and they took on administrative roles within Wycliffe Bible translators. Jan, one day, out of the blue, received a phone call the news came that one of their captors had become a Christian and wanted to meet them. Face to face with their captors, he told them how he was an experienced killer and that he and others had planned on killing all of them who they'd captured. But for some reason, they just couldn't do it and instead they released them. He told Bruce and Jan that after, soon after arriving at the base, the rebels set up the projector and the film that they had nicked from these Bible translators. And they watched the film. Eventually, they watched it many times. And at one viewing, several hundred terrorist rebels were watching it. The word of God in film, understood in their own language, reached into man's hardened hearts. Many of them were so moved that they wanted to lay down their arms right there and leave the shining path. Now standing before them was a fellow believer. Their former captor asked forgiveness for what he had done to them that day. Isn't that amazing? So it's not internalized joy. That will help you. But it's when you externalize the joy that breakthroughs happen. That actually rejoicing in God gets you through wildernesses. And the truth is, you have an enemy. There is an enemy of your soul. I believe that Satan was defeated on the cross. I believe that. His legal right of claim over your life was removed by Jesus paying the price for your sin so that you could be his forever. However, the enemy is still active and he works by suggestion. He puts things in your head, doubts, fears, anxieties. He, he, if he can get you to move on those fears, act out of those anxieties, he can ruin your life even though he no longer has ultimate authority over your life because of Jesus. That's why it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's Satan, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They trampled over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You see, the blood of the lamb is the cross. It's celebrating that Jesus has legally had the victory over Satan and you are no longer Satan's. You're no longer under sin or death. You're freed, you're Jesus's, you're eternally saved. However, that ongoing attack those words of suggestion, those fears and paranoias, those doubts that will come into your mind, that those same doubts and fears that the Israelites faced when they were in the wilderness, instead of resisting the urge to complain and murmur, they should have resisted those words, but they came. And how do you overcome those words? Those same words that want to stop you. You can be a believer, and yet you don't fulfill your destiny. How can those same words that want to stop you in your wilderness and stop you moving on into what God has for you, how can you stop them? The words of your testimony. What are you declaring? What are you rejoicing in? What are you deciding to believe before God? In hard times, you sometimes think, well, I don't want to be at church. I've just had a really hard week. Folks, that's the time you need to be at church and see all these smiley faces, right? 
you need to be at church when you're going through the hard weeks because that's when you need to declare some good stuff, right? You, you, oh, I can't turn to the Bible. I'm going through. Open the Psalms. Sing those songs. Even if your emotions don't like it, they can catch up with you. Get your joy moving. Get your joy being expressed because nothing's changed. He's still on the throne. He still paid the price for your sin. You've got every reason to rejoice. And it's the word of your testimony that causes you to overcome. It's the blood of the Lamb, the cross of Jesus, and it's the ongoing declaration of your lips that he is good and he is faithful that causes you to overcome. I love this church. I love that you're not a complaining church. I love that you're a positive, joyful church. I love that. I love how someone's laughing because they don't believe that we're not a complaining church. <laughs> but no, I love that. I love that you, so, so in one of our locations, you know who you are, one of you suffering, struggling, not suffering, struggling with cancer, being told by the doctors you have no hope. But I know you are rejoicing in God because your hope is different to what the doctor said. I know that. You're not a complaining church. I admire people like this in this church. I admire many of you who are struggling with immigration issues and yet you're not murmuring and complaining. You're rejoicing in the God who ultimately has your destiny totally in order. I love how we're a church who facing the biggest challenges or job challenges or obstacles, we face them with joy and with faith and we rejoice in God. Okay, so joy for what was, joy for what is, and joy for what will be. Let's read the last verses, verses eight to 11. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. But your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And that's quite strong. God didn't allow that people to go into their promised land. It was 40 years later that the next generation went into the promised land. And I don't think that's ever God's intention. God's plan is for you to get into the destiny he has for you. Grumbling and complaining keep you in a wilderness and stop you from fulfilling destiny. Rejoicing brings you into that destiny that God has for you. See, what joyful praise does, joyful praise thanks God for things even before those things have happened. You see that right through the Bible. Praise acknowledges that God's about to do something that is different to what you've seen. That's what praise does. But let me also make a point. Praise not only acknowledges what's coming, Praise triggers what's coming. Did you know that? Say, praise triggers what's coming. It really does. Listen to this verse. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. This is Jesus who heals a paralytic. They brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. I think he said that in an English accent. Be of good cheer, right? Tap the grumpy person next to you and say, be of good cheer. Go on. Tap the grumpy person next to you and say, be of good cheer. On the other side, go on. Be of good cheer. Okay, just, just stop there, right? You, you, we know what happens here, right? He got the guy off his bed. He got him, he, Jesus miraculously healed this paralyzed guy, right? But before he healed him, while he was still on the mat... Just illustrating what that would look like if you're paralyzed in a mat. Jesus said, be of good cheer. Isn't that amazing? Come on, cheer up. <laughs> and I think he said that because he wanted him to know joy that wasn't based on his changed circumstance, but rather was based on Jesus and on his promise. And I want us to be people who have joy not based on changed circumstance. Hey, I've got joy now. I've got that job I wanted. Or, hey, I've got joy now. That situation changed. Or, hey, I've got joy. Man, life will just throw more stuff at you. Life is a roller coaster. Life has its ups and downs. 
you're going to face wildernesses, sure. But you need to have joy in God. You need to be of good cheer based on God, based on what is to come, based on the hopes and promises of what you don't even see yet. That's so important. And it's easy to rejoice after the miracle. But God wants you to rejoice before the miracle. You see, you've got to tether your joy to truth. Build your joy on truth. That, then it won't change. Build your joy on God. Tether your joy to God. Then it won't change. In the Old Testament, we also see the great example of the walls of Jericho. Eventually, the generation after this generation that died in the wilderness, the next generation came to the promised land. And their first obstacle was the city of Jericho. And as they came to the city of Jericho, it says in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, that God called, called Joshua to do something very unusual. And it says that when the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and the, at the sound of the trumpet, and when the men gave their sh- loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. Isn't that amazing? They, they had to rejoice before the victory. It would be easy to conquer the city and then say, yeah, we did it. But how about saying, yeah, and then you do it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to so ruin that city. And then it happens. And God actually did it. They, they rejoiced ahead of miracles. They believed in the destiny that God had for them and they praised in advance. That's really, really important. I remember when Michael was younger, we got into a lift um, in this big building and we got into the lift on the ground floor. He was he, down here and I, I was here and I held his hands and we stood in that lift and every floor people were getting on. It was a very busy lift and it wasn't long before it went from just being me and him to all of a sudden the lift packed and, and he's down here and all he can see is bums and belts, right? But I'm up here. I'm okay because I'm up here and I can see that we're making progress. I'm gonna, one, two, we're going somewhere but he's down there all he sees is bums about and it wasn't long before I have a tug and he says dad pick me up I can't see anything from down here so I pick him up and it's like everything changes but nothing's changed he's he's still in the lift but everything's changed because all of a sudden he has a perspective he didn't used to have the moment he just raised his hands and he just lifted his eyes to me and intensely asked for me to lift him up. In that moment, he just, it just gave him a different perspective. He saw things very differently. And I believe that in worship, as you lift your hands to God, as you lift your heart in worship, as you connect with God in those times of celebration and in times of praise collectively, and when you're individually by yourself in your bedroom, when you praise God, sometimes facing the most insurmountable odds, what will happen in those moments is God will lift you up And it's not that your circumstance will maybe instantly change, but it will. But it's not that it instantly changes. It's just that in God, you have a different perspective and you see things entirely different. And from God's view, it's actually okay. It's all gonna work out just fine. And I believe, I really believe that God has a destiny for our lives. I believe God has a destiny for our church. And the way we get to that destiny is by expressing our joy, sometimes exuberantly, in the very presence of God. So here's David's. It's the end of his life. That's when he's writing this psalm. He's reflecting back, and he's reflecting back on Israel's history, his own people. Hundreds of years ago, in the wilderness, they murmured and complained and they grumbled. And some people might say, well, justifiably so. Things were tough, and I agree. But they let unbelief result in murmuring, which hindered them moving into their destiny. David probably in that moment was also reflecting back, and he was probably thinking, God, thank you. You took me through a wilderness and I remember rejoicing in you when things were the toughest. And now he's at the end of his life and here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing he's looking ahead to the next generation and he's thinking, I'm going to write this psalm that's going to encourage people to have joy in God and rejoice in their creator and rejoice in their shepherds because I don't want them to do the mistakes that the people in Israel did. I want them to come in to the destiny. So he says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the God, of the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Let us extol him with music and song. 
For the Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods, also the great King above every circumstance you face, the great King over all our destinies, the great King over this city, the great King. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he's our God. We're the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you have given us the greatest excuse to rejoice and be glad. It would be really weird if we didn't rejoice and be glad in the light of what you have done for us, Jesus. When you died on that cross, when you died to take away our sin, when you died to conquer the enemies of our life, we thank you, Lord, that because of you, because of your death, because of your resurrection, we can have the greatest and eternal hope in this life. I pray, God, for everyone in this room and for those who are on live stream, I ask, God, that you will enable us to be those who resists the hardening of heart that can come from focusing wrongly on circumstances and letting them flood our heart with unbelief and then results in murmuring and complaining. God, I pray that we will be those whose hearts are soft, whose hearts rejoice in the promises of God, that God, those promises would fuel joy in our lips. And as we rejoice and express our worship, thank you, God, You're the one who brings us into our destiny. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just wherever you are, just if you're going through the hardest times of your life, rejoice in Him. Going through challenges that you just don't know how you're going to cope tomorrow, worship Him. you haven't been living by promises but you've been living by problems time to make a choice don't deny yourself the greatest privilege of living by the promises of God get a bible find the promises and let them fuel faith and inspire deep joy in your soul maybe you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus the great news is God loves you more than you could ever imagine today if you don't know Jesus I want to give you that opportunity to put your faith in him, he's alive he's here right now by his Holy Spirit if that's you today and you want to have this life of God in your life, you want to have this relationship with God then I invite you just now just to pray this prayer with me, not out loud just under your breath, just quietly between you and God pray this prayer dear Lord God thank you for your incredible love for me Jesus thank you That in your love you were willing to die on the cross. Take away all my sin. Take the punishment that I deserved. And then rise again the third day. Thank you so much. I believe in you today. I put my faith in you today. I give my life to you today. Be Lord of my life. Help me to follow you from this day forward. Thanks for hearing my prayer. 